0: Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed
1: and I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork.
0: And it's made up of three success pillars. People success, deal success and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Happy holidays to all my Reveal listeners. To celebrate the holidays, we're replaying one of our most popular episodes, with Jonathan Frick who's a partner at Bain and he has over 15 years of strategic sales experience helping organizations of all types and sizes really maximize their productivity. And in this episode we talk about why so many strategic initiatives fail as well as how to level up B players into A players. If you're listening to this episode during the holidays That means you're constantly thinking about how to level up yourself or level up your team. Well, this episode is just for you, and I want to extend a very, very, very happy holidays from the entire Reveal crew, including Devin, who is not here with me today. I really hope you spend some time over the holidays enjoying yourself, enjoying your friends, your family, whoever you may be able to be close to at this time. I hope you can also spend some time reflecting on the year that we just had. With all the ups and downs, uh, there are still some things that we can find that we can be appreciative for. So I'd love for you to spend some time and actually write those things down. And Devin and I would actually love to hear from you. Feel free to send an email to reveal at gong.io and let us know what you're thinking about. What are you appreciative for? You could also take it to the next level and indicate what you're looking at, hoping to achieve in 2021. Well, with that, as we talk about leveling up, let's get into the conversation with Jonathan. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Thank you. So usually when we kick off our podcast, we like to start with some easy wins. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you had for breakfast today.
2: Uh, well, I had avocado toast today, which seemed, you know, the <laughs> thing to do when you're in San Francisco visiting. <laughs>
1: Definitely. That's amazing. And Udi would really love that. If he you would love that. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, most are in the world of sales, right? They're sales leaders, reps, managers and supporting uh, roles. For those who may not be familiar with Bain and being a partner at Bain, how would you describe what being a partner at Bain means in ideally three words, if you can?
2: Wow. Three words. That's tough. Uh, I would say convincing clients that they need to make dramatic changes and helping them then make those. That's more than three words, but just change. Let's go with that.
1: <laughs> That's pretty good. That, that is a good summary of the role for sure. So how did you actually get into the sales practice at Bain? Because Bain does a lot of things related to strategy and working with executives and Uh, you know, the highest levels across companies, but what drew you to the sales practice specifically?
2: Yeah. And, you know, before I answer that, I think that is a good point. I think we've, you know, traditionally been seen more as people who do strategy work, but I'm actually in our commercial excellence practice, which is a fancy pants way of saying sales and marketing, Mm -hmm. but we do actually a ton of work now, especially with companies that are going through significant transformations in their sales force for one reason or another. I got into it, though, completely by accident. Uh, You know, 10 years ago or so, I, I had a choice of what projects to work on, and I happened to pick solely based on the fact that I wanted to work for a particular person. She was the right 10-year distance from me, and I was trying Mm -hmm. to get promoted. And uh, it happened to be a project about sales enablement, which was kind of a very new buzzword Mm. 10 years ago. Now it's a very common word. Mm -hmm. And I sort of became the guru on this accidentally in Bain and then just stuck with sales stuff. And so it was completely unplanned if you would told me 15 years ago that not only I'd be selling consulting projects, but that I would be selling consulting projects about selling, I would have probably told you (laughs) you were nuts. I was the last person in the world who would ever be a salesperson, but here I am.
1: (laughs) So Bain works with a lot of different kinds of clients. Uh, tell me a little bit about the types of companies that you work with, because we're going to get a little bit deeper into the research that you've done with clients. So I think for some context, it would be helpful to know, like, what is the basis for some of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've advised clients uh, in pretty much every B2B industry there is. And so some of the things that we'll talk about, you know, apply to anything from selling office supplies to selling software. We've kind of applied it to all of those. Personally, though, I, I do the most work with technology companies, especially um, enterprise hardware, data center infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. So more complex products, shall we say, to sell, uh, where uh, some of the stuff we're going to talk about about sales behavior is, you know, obviously quite important, but I would say it's important to, to, to pretty much any B2B sales force.
1: Right. So I'm thinking like complex sales cycles, long sales cycles, strategic account planning, like all those are... A the lot types. of the
2: things that I deal with. Yes, yes. for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: So let's get right into the heart of what you are focused on at Bain, which is all about sales behavior and what we can learn from sales behavior from a very data-driven lens. Um, I think I threw a lot of buzzwords into that. So can you just tell me what exactly does that mean and would love to dig into some of the research there?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I, I've ended up leading uh, uh, what we call frontline performance management globally uh, for Bain, which includes... Talent, behavior, a number of other things like that, but very specifically on behavior, uh, the the there there are two big insights that we we've had from observations that we've made over the years watching lots of sales forces operate. The first one was really this idea that uh, much of the difference between top performers and average performers, call them A and B players, is actually behaviors that you could teach people on and coach people to get better at some of it is you know innate talent differences is someone really right for this sales role or should they be in a different sales role some of it's structural somebody's got a bigger patch and somebody's got a smaller territory but uh but a lot of it actually when you look at it is really stuff that you can teach people to do which is quite interesting because obviously if you could turn you know a significant portion of your average people into something that looks a little bit more like your top people that would be pretty cool for mm-hmm. most salesforce to be able to do. The other insight, which we can come back to more later, is just that it's actually really hard, though, to do that consistently, as easy as it sounds. And so there's a bit of a science around how you do behavior change.
1: Mm-hmm. What has made that so difficult to date? I mean, coaching and training, like that's been around since the early days of sales, whenever that started.
2: Indeed. Um, <laughs> why
1: can't organizations implement and coach effectively effectively on those specific areas on an ongoing basis. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think it's just we underestimate how hard of a skill, first of all, coaching is. If you think about most sales frontline managers, they're promoted reps. Mm -hmm. They learned how to sell really well. They got really good at their way of selling. Most companies don't invest a lot in training them on how to be leaders and teaching other people who might have different backgrounds, different strengths at how to actually do what they're good at. And so it's actually not a surprise when you think about it that this is pretty tricky for a lot of people. And then beyond just the coaching aspect, a lot of leaders forget how many other barriers they put unintentionally in the way of salespeople doing what they want them to do. Right. And so one of the things that we found is people always sort of gravitate towards the silver bullet solutions. Like if Mm -hmm. I want to get somebody to do something differently, say, I want them to, you know, sell solutions, not boxes, or I want them to, (laughs) you know, sell value, not, you know, on price or, you know, all these things that you could think about that many sales fleeters are always talking about, you know, those are easier said than done because a lot of times, the only solutions that people jump to are, well, I'll just change the comp plan or -hmm. I'll just put in Mm -hmm." a training program and somehow that will, you know, magically silver bullet change everything. But the reality is there are all sorts of things surrounding the salesperson that make it difficult for them to do those new things. And, uh, you know, it's not that they don't want to. I mean, salespeople, more than most roles... Want to earn a bigger paycheck? They want to sell more. They're not trying to sabotage your grand plans to transform the sales <laughs> force. Mm-hmm. They want to do this stuff, but it's hard. So you know, take some of those examples. You know, if they, let's say they even get the training, let's say that they're incented to do it. If their manager doesn't ask them about it every week in the pipeline review and ask them about a bunch of other stuff instead, well, you know how much time are they going to spend on that? If the tools suck and don't make it easy to do that. You know, you want people to do account planning, but you give them a 500 page PowerPoint template as opposed to something that's built into the CRM. Well, I mean, yeah, you're not really making it very easy to do them. You tell them to collaborate with, you know, other people on the sales team, but you don't tell them who they're supposed to work with. They don't know the people. I mean, there's just all these barriers that get in the way of this. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to get behavior change consistently the data basically says you need to systematically eliminate as many of those barriers as you can. That what gets what gets people doing this stuff day in, day out, every day. You just take down one or two of them, yeah, you'll get some movement, but you'll get a lot of people who are just like, ah, oh, this is too hard. I could mm-hmm. I could close a deal while I'm trying to figure this out.
0: For the uh, for the sales leaders that are listening, um, there's definitely some barriers that are there for preventing uh, change. Maybe what are those top barriers and, and how have you seen them overcome with some of the companies you've worked with?
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one is the one that, that Sheena, you alluded to first, which is mm-hmm. the frontline manager doesn't have any idea how to coach the people in the new behavior, mm-hmm. right? They, just, they don't know what good looks like and they certainly don't know how to explain it to people, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of your, you know, we call it the black hole of change management in sales, you know brilliant initiatives get passed down the corporate ladder and you know, Mm -hmm. they finally get to one level above the front line. And it's like, everybody's like, well, that's, that's a great idea, but I have no idea how to teach my people how to do that. (laughs) So I'm just going to keep, you know, trying to yell at them to get their numbers this quarter. That's the number one, one that we see, uh, over and over again, you know, anything beyond that is probably a distant second, but you know, a lot of the other ones are about system and tools issues come up a lot, you know, uh, unsurprisingly, And I think ways of working, we would call it, so just how people should collaborate with other people internally within Mm. the company. One of the surprising findings that we've seen is that the size of the network you have internally inside your company as a salesperson is often a more statistically predictive factor of your success than the size of your Rolodex outside the company. And that's even true, um, I wasn't surprised about that for complex selling, like we talked about that I'm involved in, but that's even true for like some really basic... Yeah. sales forces, which you wouldn't think, but actually the ability to bring the things inside your organization to bear to solve the customer's problem, to get a specialist in front of them, to get an unusual price or a term and condition through approvals, mm-hmm. to you know all this kind of stuff is is hard, right? Mm-hmm. In most companies, there's a lot of bureaucracy. And the salespeople who've been around a long time and are really successful have often figured out all the like tips and tricks and the internal network to get around all of this mm-hmm. nonsense, yeah. right? And so- Figuring out those internal ways of working, making it easy for people to collaborate with whoever they need to collaborate with to get deals done on the internal side is another one that just a lot of people don't think about uh, when they, you know, they jump to training compensation, kind of more obvious things first for the reasons that you'd expect.
1: Are there specific tactics that you would recommend companies to implement to help build those internal networks?
2: The first one that we've seen uh, uh, is just telling people who they're supposed to be working with. You'd be amazed how many companies like people don't even know who the other people are that touch the same account. Like who oh. from support, professional services, like other parts of the company are like also engaged with this customer. And then you go talk to your customer like, oh, I'd love to buy that, but can you fix, you know, the outage I've had for the last week first, <laughs> Yeah, right? So just be <laughs> basic things like that. Uh, another one is, uh, you know, simply mapping out these different collaboration points and then making simple ways for those people to engage together it could be something as simple as a template, like when sales needs to talk to, you know, this department, like, you know, what do you talk about in a standard way The, you know, the really world-class way is to get that into your system. So a lot of that data flows automatically. So if you're going from sales to someone, you know, in order processing or sales to a specialist or sales to services that they already have all the information they need and you don't have to like, but at least kind of like show them what does. Mm -hmm. The last one is probably just cadences, like having regularly scheduled times when these are, you know, Account planning means should have all the people engaged in an account in them and kind of Mm -hmm. happen on a regular basis. And, you know, they don't always, right? Yeah, sure. Um, So just basic times when people are supposed to talk to each other, just forcing the conversation often helps.
1: I want to take a step back to one of your earlier points was that frontline managers don't even know what's working and what should be a best practice for their team and how to coach on that. Right. What is the role of data in unveiling what those best practices are?
2: I mean, I think that has been one of the big changes over the last five to ten years is it can be much more of a science now. Obviously, there's an art to selling that will never go away. But the the amount of data available, if you can figure out how to extract insights from it, which is usually the bigger issue, mm-hmm. the amount of data available to mm-hmm. tell you this is what people actually did when they were in a meeting with a customer or this is what people have on their calendar or this is, you know, what people have, you know, in the pipeline in a much more granular sense that never really used to exist, you know, you, you, in theory, should be able to bring all of that together and say, well, what things of those, what patterns among those are predictive of performance? But, you know, that's often easier said than done, right? Uh, Depending on how good your data is and how good your tools are and all of that stuff. But conceptually, Mm -hmm. I think being able to take some of these best in class tools and, empower managers with just some simple dashboards that say, you know, these are the five things that we believe predict performance. If you just, you know, measure your reps on these every week, and here's some data flowing in to help you do that, and then coach them on these things. And here's some training on how to coach people like that often can make a huge, huge difference. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it sounds like introducing transparency to organizations is, is a big plus. Is it, would you say the hindrance there is a, is a mindset thing? Like people, you know, declining to introduce more transparency for for various reasons? Or is it a technology thing? Maybe both, neither?
2: I would say you have to have the right culture around how to introduce these things. When you introduce data and you do it in a way that salespeople think it is a tool to help them make more money... It goes really well. Mm-hmm. When you introduce data in a way that is just another inspection, another way to beat them over the head by their manager, like that just isn't super helpful because, yeah, why would I as a rep? Open the kimono and reveal to you all this stuff about <laughs> where I spend the time and where I went for lunch and <laughs> what I talked about in the means with my customer if all you're going to do is sort of like yell at me and not actually give me useful tools sure. to say how to do better. So we've had this debate in a lot of the clients that I've worked with as to how to really roll this stuff out and how to make it feel like it's actually adding value to people not like it's you know spying on them, right? Because yeah. that is not an effective way to go about this.
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's all about using the data to both help surface things that were otherwise hidden, right. and then helping to level up you as an individual, helping to level up the entire team, and as a result, the entire company. So we're all in it together, and yeah. it, bringing that mindset to it, I think is also really critical. So I know Bain is a very data-driven company in general and you are working with all sorts of clients who may or may not that have that same mindset. So how do you engage with customers, may not be on that same level and have that same understanding of the value and the role of data? Or is that part of the vetting process of working with them before you even start to sign them on?
2: Well, I think you know most companies now understand what the value can be. They may have concerns about as I said, how to do it culturally in their organization or how much to do it. More often, I think the problem is simply that they believe that their data is garbage and they don't see a way out of, you know, way out of that, a way to improve it. But the reality is most companies, even pretty world-class ones, have some elements of their data that are total garbage, right? And so Mm -hmm. I think it it is less about convincing them of the need at this point. Um, If anything, people kind of spout digital buzzwords at us too much when we're talking to them. (laughs) It's more, I think, figuring out what are the right first steps you can take, right, to get useful things out there. You know, we tend to approach this in a very agile fashion. Get something out there, even if it's an Excel to start with a pilot group of people, try it, see if the salespeople like it, see if it improves their performance, rather than, you know, spending months, you know, building some super fancy tool that's going to somehow solve world hunger. And that's what you get to, obviously, later on. The companies that are truly world-class, of course, they have very sophisticated, integrated systems, you know, fed from a single data lake that can tell you, you know everything from a person's background to what they do every day and how that influences their performance. But that's like that's the destination for most people. That is a, a multi-year journey, to right. put it mildly, to get there. The first step is, what can you do with what you've got or what you could easily get without wasting a ton of salespeople's time entering yet more things into the systems that can really make a difference. Yeah. And so that's, I think, where the conversation more typically starts.
0: In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Following Bain's work with an anonymized client, they isolated the change required to transform B players into A players. The key takeaway is how they spend their time. Compared to their B player counterparts, A players spend three more hours with customers, an extra 10 minutes collaborating with specialists like sales engineers and solution architects, and an extra hour meeting with their direct manager every week. In addition, they also noticed that A players completed all their account plans compared to the 50% completion rate from B players. This is especially applicable for sales leaders selling to large companies and have complex sales cycles. Even if you only add up the extra time spent with clients, that's an additional 150 selling hours, or about 18 days, per rep every year. Time spent on non-revenue generating activities is a well-known plague that has been haunting sellers for years. According to Forbes, sellers only spend 33% of their time actually selling. Another way to look at it is for every dollar you pay your rep to sell, you're paying them $2 not to sell.
1: How do you see the role of sales enablement changing in this world where we are flooded with data? We need to pull out the insights from it. And how is sales enablement going to help drive these behavioral changes that are required to level up uh, entire teams?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that anyone has fully cracked the code on this one yet. I mean, the goal everyone understands, which is to get the right insights to the rep at the time they need it to not deluge them with unnecessary information, right? When they don't mm-hmm. need it. But that's just, that is just easier said than done, right? And I think it's still the case that there are a lot of disparate tools out there and reps are trying to sort through them to find what they need. But will companies get there? Yeah, I think over time they'll find ways to put more of what people need in their hands at the right time.
1: What tools and technologies are you most excited about today?
2: I do think anything that comes back to this theme of giving more, I guess you call it transparency around what people are doing and whether that's good or bad Mm -hmm. and how to get better outcomes from that. I mean, that in the work that I do, which is mainly about making the frontline more successful is super interesting. I mean, we have other partners that I work with who work more on other things like demand generation who are super excited about ways to get great data on what customers are out there that you don't know yet and where's the white space. And so I think this is a... This is a vast universe of things that we could yeah. talk about. But yeah, personally, that's what I'm most excited about is 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 finding more data that that truly can lead to useful insights on how people can improve what they do day in day out. You know, where should I spend my time? What should I talk about with my with my customer? That is cool stuff to me.
0: Mm-hmm. From a practitioner's standpoint, do you think all this emerging technology, predictive analytics, I think salespeople are still a little weary about that, at least in the circles I hang out with. AI seems to be kind of gaining some trust. Do you think these emerging technologies are really making practitioners better? Or do you think maybe it's kind of bogging them down with, you know, it's too new, we're not ready, or yeah. maybe another take?
2: It's an interesting question. I think it depends a lot on, on what your role is too. I mean, to take one example, at the end of the spectrum, If you look at inside sales and where that is versus 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. right where, you know, 10 years ago you were probably cold calling numbers out of a phone book Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out who the right person was to talk to and you know now you've got people who are spending you know 70 80% of the day on the phone and they've got systems that are telling them call this person next and they're the CMO and the reason you're calling them is because they downloaded this white paper and did this demo and they'd be really interested in this product and these are the talking points you can... I mean th- I think it would be hard to argue that productivity has not dramatically climbed In some of those roles and that, you know, people are selling stuff over the phone now that you would have never thought they'd be selling over the phone 10 years ago, you know, CPUs and sophisticated software and all sorts of stuff. But I mean, if you look at complex enterprise field sales and, uh, you know, kind of consultative selling and stuff, I mean... That world has grown so much in complexity, buyer-influencer complexity, product complexity over the intervening years that I I do think that any gains that have been created by the tech in helping to navigate that have probably barely just been keeping pace with what people actually have to do to be successful at their mm-hmm. jobs and so I think it's it's fair to say that it's understandable why some people out there on the front lines probably feel like I don't know if all this stuff is really helping me mm-hmm. I also think it's fair to say that you know some companies have just to be blunt botched the rollout out of a lot of this stuff and have put out things there that weren't really tested with salespeople to begin with and like are more for the purposes of you know, collecting data for the company that they might want, that yeah. are actually empowering people. Mm-hmm. And so then people get this sort of understandable reticence, like, oh, another new thing's coming out. Great. That means <laughs> another 10 minutes a day I have to spend typing something into something, right? Sure. Rather than <laughs> yeah. this is going to be um, on the predictive side, by the way, you know, since you brought up AI, I think one of the things there is that I don't think salespeople like black boxes. Fair right? I think people mm-hmm. want to know why they're being told they should do something. Right. and that um, Some companies have done that really well with their tools, And but others, it's just like, you know, you should go sell this next or you should charge this price. And they're like, why? If you tell them you should charge this price because 85% of your peers in an exact like for like deal with the same kind of customer, same deal size have like been able to get away with this price. Then they're like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. And now I have confidence, right. but like you just tell them, charge this price because the system says so they're like no my customer is telling me they're not going to buy it at that price i'm not going to lose the deal that's dumb yeah and so i i do think that that is one of the big problems with a lot of this ai stuff is that it just you've got to find ways to get people confident around why they're doing what they're doing and you know some machine learning algorithms are not really architected to be able to do that mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah Well, it's funny because when you think uh, and I always compare the two, the the two that come up a lot is like predictive analytics. When you bring that up to a sales rep, and I've done it this week in preparation for this, this response is, well, I know what a good account looks like. (laughs) I can tell you right now. Show me the LinkedIn page. I'll show you right now if that's a good account. Problem is we have. 40 new reps coming in and they don't all know, right? So we need a system in place because we can scale that out. And then like you said, it's kind of like, you know, not all AI is built the same, you know, there's high quality, low quality, but the thing that they can usually get behind is if it will make me more productive. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that's probably the first checkbox. I think most, at least, you know, kind of modern sellers say, you know, is it gonna give me a, you know, serve up the right account at the right time for the right rep? Sometimes, maybe, maybe not, but there's a lot of agreements that, uh, you know, at least some time savings there. Yeah.
1: What companies do you look to as on the bleeding edge of leveraging technology in the you know sales space, if you can mention them? But like, I'm sure there's some benchmark companies that you talk about when you meet with clients of, oh, they're doing things in a great way. You should consider that.
2: It's a hard question because I think uh, it, it depends on what aspect of sales. Yeah. There are very few companies that are actually great at everything. There are a lot of companies that because of their particular strategy have gotten very good at a, a particular thing. So mm-hmm. if you were to say, you know, some of the stuff around how do we deploy our sales resources, you know, where do we put people, stuff like that. I mean, I think Salesforce has been very good about that, as you would hope, in <laughs> the products that they build. Um, you know, I think if you were to talk about, like, demand gen, right, I, you know, identifying good leads, scoring them, you know, it's, it's actually a lot of... Um, let lot of small pure play SaaS companies, uh, especially ones who are targeting, you know, the mid-market and SMBs, they have by mm. definition had to get good at that. So think about SolarWinds, which does infrastructure software, or RingCentral, which sells like telephony as a mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. There are lots of examples like that of companies that have had to figure out how to basically get an amazing engine where, you know, you put a dollar in and you know exactly how many prioritized leads you get out and they get to the right, the right rep. Um, I I can't think of a company off the hand that has actually really done all the things that I talk about, about like behavioral analysis super well. Some companies have bits and, and pieces of it that are working really well, but I think they're actually, there's still a lot of frontier if you will, when you talk about a lot of this frontline performance management stuff. I think some companies are good at coaching, some companies are good at training, but kind of putting the whole package together is, is tricky.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to be a master of all trades, but yes. you, can have, you can be uh, an expert in one specific area, and then you have a lot of complexity with uh, probably turnover and people coming in and out and experimentation with new approaches and methodologies yeah. and... Uh, and things are moving so fast, right? You think you're great at one thing and then there's this whole new you know, predictive analytics and you have no idea how to incorporate that in what's already working and you may kind of mess that up, so. Yeah.
0: Looking forward, I mean, we're heading into 2020. Like, what should sales leaders be looking for now so they're prepared for 2020 and the decade to follow?
2: I mean, I still think the, the advice that we always give first is understand what problem it is you're trying to solve. I think people jump... To the tool, often like this tool is some kind of I'm gonna solve all my problems, Mm -hmm. and it's actually usually the third step, right? The first step is what question am I I even trying to answer, and Mm -hmm. that may be different for different companies. Some companies it may be all about finding the next best account that you can go after, Mm -hmm. right, and scoring those. For others, it may be about how do I get my salespeople five percent, ten percent more productive every year. The kind of stuff we've been talking, but it's just. First, it's like, what question am I trying to answer? Then the second is, you know, what would it take to really make that happen? So it really goes down to more to process and behavior, right? And then it's kind of, how does the tool fit into that? How do I deploy the technology, right? That would enable me to actually do those things at scale and efficiently. Mm -hmm. I think where I was telling people to look at is, you know, what are the interesting questions that you wish you could answer that would make a dramatic difference in the performance of your sales force that you haven't been able to answer yet? Mm-hmm. And I think that is the best guide, you know, more than anything, if you're gonna try to put your kind of futurist hat on. Mm-hmm. That's the best guide to what might come next. And then you never know exactly in any given year what's gonna come in terms of what tech gets developed or not mm-hmm. and reaches maturity, but you at least know the kind of I think you can kind of think about the questions that you wish your tech would answer, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah. We call those million-dollar questions. Yes. You know, why are your customers churning? Yes. What are your star reps doing that others aren't? Things like that. So, Well, that's a
2: perfect example because it's, you know, why are your customers churning? You know, that makes a big difference if you're in a subscription model mm-hmm. or if you're a very mature business that has all your installed base locked up and you're just worried about them leaving. It might be totally irrelevant if you're selling, you know, If you're still selling licensed software or something and it's all, you know, new white space. I don't think there's that many of those companies left, but there are a few of them, right? (laughs) And so just, you know, really understanding what is the thing that you're trying to do, right, I think is the key to all of this.
1: So what is the single most important data that you think all companies should keep track of?
2: I mean, this is really hard to narrow it down to one. If I had to say two, right, I do think it really comes down to... You want to know really well what's in your pipeline. And I know, obviously, CRM has existed forever, but still many people don't use it very well, right? Mm-hmm. And the other is this whole idea that we've been talking about. You do want to know what your people are doing. And is that aligned with the things that generate performance or not? Uh, if you think about the two biggest jobs of a frontline sales manager, you know, I think we would argue they are, number one, to coach your people to get better, Number two is to move pipe forward so you actually hit your number. Those two things really do interface in an ideal world where you're actually coaching people on how to do the things that they need to get better at in the context of a live deal. So, hey, this is what I'm trying to work at. It's at, you know, 50% stage. The next meeting is about X oh, you know, your areas, you need to get better at, you know, listening in meetings or selling value or, you know, crafting the solution for the customer or whatever it is. Let's talk together about how that means going to go. And then afterwards, you know, debrief it or watch the tape, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Of what Mm -hmm. actually happened. And then you can give them feedback on that. And so those are the two pieces of data then that you want most to instrument that frontline manager's job is where's everything in the pipeline? And uh, and what you know, what are my people actually doing? Is it the stuff I want them to do? And you know, I, I, there's lots of other things, obviously. But like, if you could have those, I think that makes a huge difference in your job more than anything else.
0: Yeah. If you could recommend one book to a sales leader to read in 2020, what would it be? And bonus points if it's going to help them answer unanswered million-dollar questions.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is really tough too, because I mean, I think there's a. There's a lot of sales books out there. <laughs> B. You know. A lot of them aren't that great. And by the way, I, I will say, in defense of all sales authors, that a lot of the articles that I've written are not exactly Shakespeare either. So this is not an indictment of. Um, but you know, if I if I you know, when we talk to our clients, the book I would say that my clients have consistently said they thought was helpful is called Sales Management Simplified. I think Mike Weinberg is the hmm. author. And it hits on a lot of these things that we're talking about, like if you're a frontline manager, what the heck should you actually be doing with your time to make Mm -hmm. your reps better? And it is, as the title would suggest, relatively simple. Not an attempt to fill 600 pages with things that could have been done in five, right? And so that's probably one that I think I'd recommend. (laughs)
0: We'll have to
1: add that to the shelf if it's not already there. Yeah,
0: (laughs) and I think that's key too, because like you said earlier, and I know this from my career, is most frontline managers were the best sales rep on the floor, but guess what they spent the last years doing? closing business, not prepping to coach other reps. So uh, if you're listening to this and that sounds like your frontline manager, no problem. Uh, Jonathan's normal. got a book for you. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very normal, <laughs> very normal.
1: Awesome, well, it was really you know wonderful to meet you. Thanks Thank you. so much for joining us here at the Gong office in San Francisco. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for being here, Jonathan.
2: Thank you, you're quite welcome.
0: Every week we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. And if you want to level up your sales team's performance, then you need to crack the code to transform your B players into A players. There are two fundamental areas to focus on. Spoiler alert, it's all about how your reps spend their time. The first metric is time spent with prospects and customers. Similar to your buyer's journey, zoom out and focus on your seller's journey. Where are they spending time not selling and what tasks can you remove so they have time to do what they do best, engage with prospects. This is typically where sales enablement teams shine. The next metric is time spent collaborating on deals with specialists, like sales engineers, solution architects, and the like. Your people are your strongest asset, and they accomplish more when they work as a cohesive unit. Inspect how your teams are, or aren't, working together and detect the areas for improvement. The best revenue leaders make this type of analysis an ongoing process, constantly detecting, addressing, and solving these productivity gaps. It's not easy, but it's the type of improvement that drastically impacts your bottom line. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.
1: And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at
0: gong.io.